0: We as parents need to really question all of the ideas we had about what our lives would look like as parents or what our child's education would look like, or all of these ideas that we have about who our kids should be. And so my work is really about unpacking that and reframing and seeing the child that we have and doing the deep work to be able to really show up for the child that we're raising.
1: Hello, hello, blissful parents out there today. Michelle Abraham, your host. I am so excited to bring you an interview with Debbie Reber, who is the podcast host of Tilt Parenting. Oh my gosh, guys, I'm going to say hi to Debbie first, and I'm going to tell you a little bit more about her. So hey, hey, Debbie, how you doing? Hi, Michelle. I'm good. I'm happy to be here. Oh my gosh, we're so thrilled to have you. Blissful Parents, let me tell you a little bit more about Debbie. Debbie's a parenting activist. She's a New York Times bestselling author, keynote speaker, and founder of Tilt Parenting, like I just mentioned, which is a podcast, a website, and a great resource for parents who are raising kids. Who are differently wired. So this is something we want to dive into today. Her newest book, Differently Wired: A Parent's Guide to Raising an Atypical Child with Confidence and Hope. And it, that came out in 2018 after uh you were living abroad in the Netherlands, Netherlands for five years. So Debbie and her husband and 17-year-old son moved to Brooklyn in 2019, which is where she's coming to us live from today. So Debbie, thank you so much for joining us. And I was super excited to dive into some of these great things we're going to chat about today. Awesome. Me too. All right. Well, I want to really know about the the living abroad for five years. That's something I love talking (laughs) about travel and all that. But before we get into that, let's talk about just the words wired differently. What are we talking
0: about here and where do we start? Yeah, I like the term differently wired to really encompass any sort of narrow difference that a child or a person might have. And so when I first launched Tilled Parenting, I, I didn't love that so much of the language is deficit based or it's pathologizing. And uh, the word disorder is used in so many um, learning disabilities and other things. And so I wanted to kind of put us all under an umbrella and because there are so many commonalities and so differently wired could be anything from. ADHD or learning disability like dyslexia. It could be autism. It could be being gifted. It could be being gifted and having something else going on. It could be sensory processing issues, or there may not even be a diagnosis, but it's really just a way of describing that some people's brains are wired in such a way that school systems or some aspect of society is not designed to really support how they operate in the world. I love that. Does TILT stand for anything in particular or where did that come from? It does not. I get asked that all the time. So if anyone watching this has an idea of what I could kind of go back and say (laughs) it uh, means, that would be great. But I can tell you the story of of why it's named TILT. So right before we did this move abroad and which was kind of when everything changed and and, um, we just kind of changed our life radically. We went to the Jersey shore with my family and my mom and my child and I were riding on the Tilt-A-Whirl. So do you know that ride? It kind of whips you around. And my husband got a picture (laughs) of us, right? And we're holding on and our hair's back and we have these big grins on and we're just waiting to be whipped around again. So I had that picture hanging on my wall after we moved and I I started a blog called Tilt-A-World because I felt like that's what we were doing. We're throwing out all the rules and we just had to hold on. And so when I started developing tilt years later that word tilt um it was still kind of represented so much in terms of the way that we need to be prepared to reframe to flip things we don't we have to hold on for the ride and and be ready for whatever comes next so that's kind of the origin story for the name
1: I love it because as soon as I read the word "tilt" or heard about your tilt parenting, I was like, "That's kind of reminds me of that ride at the, yeah. at the fair where you're tilting and stuff." So that's so great. <laughs> that, yeah. That's actually where the story came from. Uh, and it is a wild journey, parenting and uh, parenting kids uh, that are wired differently is also an even more wild journey. And so I love to like chat with you about your podcast. It has had millions of downloads and you've had some incredible conversations on there. Can you share with us maybe one or two things that you, that's changed maybe your life from, from your podcast and the interviews that you've had being a part of a tilt parenting?
0: Oh my gosh. I, so I've just released episode 274 today. So I've done a lot of interviews. And when I launched till five and a half years ago, I had a list of my kind of dream guests and I've had almost all of them on. And sometimes I still go back and listen to them because I learn something every time I listen to an episode again. Um, one that I, well, one that I just released today, actually, I love so much. I told my family, this is my Terry gross moment. If you ever listened to fresh air, um, she's a, you know, Terry gross is an incredible interviewer and I really worked hard to prepare, to talk to Katherine may who wrote this book called wintering, which was a big New York times bestseller last year and a new book called the electricity of every living thing. And it's about her journey of discovering her autism as a woman and, you know, it kind of piecing together the puzzle that was her. Uh, So that's an interview that I, I just loved doing and I just learned so much and and it forced me to kind of stretch as a, as a interviewer and just think, how do I share her story in a way that's really going to meet and and resonate uh, with my listeners and then I'll just say there's another interview that I listened to. I've listened to now three times. It's with Ned Johnson and Bill Sticksroot. and they wrote a book. They've written two books. Um, one is called The Self-Driven Child, and their their newest book. I don't know if I have a copy of it right here. It's called What Do You Say, and they have profoundly changed the way that I parent. They're all about really giving our kids agency and how to how to have a respectful, meaningful connection with especially our teens and adolescents so that they, they can feel good and grow confident in who they are, even if they have lagging executive function skills, or even if they are, are struggling in other, other areas. So that's one that I still go back and listen to.
1: Such an incredible journey to be able to interview and extrapolate from all the people whose books you've read. And as I'm sure some yeah. of our listeners listening to this today, who have read your book and be like, wow, oh, that's, you know, so interesting to then hear the behind the, behind the, behind the pages, if you will, of some yeah. of the stories that led to the book. So I would love to dive into your book and how, how was that book formed and, and how did you come up with the framework for, for what you do?
0: Well, I will say that I've been writing since 2000. Actually, since earlier, I wrote a bunch of books for Blue's Clues um, before I even started writing for for uh, teens and up. Um, but I, I've written probably nine or 10 books that were published between 2000 and when I started writing Differently Wired. And so I knew I was going to write a book about, you know, for parents like me, I wanted to share information in a way that would support other parents because I felt like it was really hard to get the information I needed. And I'm really good at taking information or learning from other sources and um, kind of taking the the nuggets, applying it, and then sharing it in such a way that other people can really get it. So I knew I was gonna do that, but I actually started writing Differently Wired as more of a uh, inspirational memoir. And so I worked on that. Before I launched tilt, I have an agent. She thought that was the, in fact, she pushed me to go that direction. And so I spent a year working on this proposal and sample chapters, and then we never sold that book. And I was like, okay, I guess that's not the book. And so I decided to put that aside. And I always knew what I was going to create. I wanted to create kind of a hub for parents and a podcast and and a bunch of resources. And so I decided to pivot and put all my energy into developing Tilt. So I spent about a year developing Tilt, researching with parents, launching the podcast. And then about six months after I launched Tilt, a publisher approached me and said, Hey, I like your podcast. Have you ever thought of writing a book? And I said, Well, actually, I have I've already been working on one. And I and I was just about to re-enter that proposal and try to pivot the proposal to match what I had created. And so that's how ultimately the book came to be. It was
1: just not the right timing for it to be birthed, I guess. (laughs)
0: That is publishing. It is a brutal, brutal business to be in. Right, and so when you're writing,
1: uh you're writing in your earlier years, Blues Clues. That's so cool. My my kids love that. Yeah, my <laughs> uh, very, very recognizable one. And so then it, now, then to have your own book, um, that's all about your philosophy and your umbrella, which is Tilt. And I, I just want to i ask you like what are some of the things that you found like from the community that you've built around this uh, and that from your book and the readers and your podcast listeners what are some things that they're finding that's really helped them um, overcome or uh, you know find a community what are
0: some things that you f-
1: found come from from this experience
0: well when i launched children the way that i approached the book was really as a movement and so i More than just helping parents, I wanted us to unite as a group and say, hey, our kids are not broken. Our kids deserve to learn the way that they learn. They deserve to be uh, educated from a strengths based perspective. They have a lot to contribute. And the system that we're trying to raise them in is, is, is not working. And so I wanted to kind of rally the troops. And so when I launched Tilt, I launched it with a manifesto. It's like a 20-page manifesto where I really kind of lay out, this is what's wrong from my perspective and the research that I did. These are kind of the big problems I see. This is what's keeping us stuck. And here's what I think we need to do to shift the conversation. And so the book starts with that manifesto as well. And what I heard from people and I still hear today is that you know, it, it resonates with people, people finally, I mean, I've heard so many, um, you know, I've heard from so many parents that, oh my gosh, your experience mirrored mine, or I thought I was alone in this. And, um, and I feel the same way. And I, I, I don't want to take this anymore. Like we I'm in, you know, let's, let's do this thing. And so that sense of feeling like, instead of that there's something wrong with their child and they're an outlier and they have to forge this path alone. Actually, there are so many of us um, and together we can do great things. So I think that sense of feeling seen and feeling like being a part of a movement has been really important part of my work. Um, and then, you know, what underlies all of my work as well in my book is that again, our kids aren't broken and actually, just like we want society and the education system to catch up and to revisit how our kids are um, taught and seen and experienced, we as parents need to really question all of the ideas we had about what our lives would look like as parents or what our child's education would look like or, you know, just all of these ideas that we have about who our kids should be. And so my work is really about unpacking that and reframing and seeing the child that we have and doing the deep work to be able to really show up for the child that we're raising.
1: I love that so much. And the world's a, change, a changed place. And uh, I love that you've created a movement around this and getting the parents all together and creating something that's uh, so much more positive. Uh, and just, just sim- to say it simply, so much more mm-hmm. of a positive experience. What are some tips that you have for some of our parents that are listening right now that are like, identifying like that's me. I, I feel, I, I feel like I fit into that too. What are, what are some tips you have for them?
0: Well, you know, I, one of the things I'm talking a lot about right now, especially because, you know, as we're doing this, we're still navigating this COVID. And I was just listening to a podcast earlier again about the learning loss and the, you know, the loss of social emotional skills and that a lot of teachers and parents are seeing. And one of the things that I think is so important for parents with neurodivergent kids or all kids is that we need to respect our child's timeline and we can get so caught up in fear or worry about where our kids aren't. We can really hone in on the skills, you know, that they might be delayed in. There was a whole thread in my Facebook group about my child doesn't know how to tie their shoes yet. And I'm like, Oh, who cares? That's what Velcro is for. But I I think that um, parents put so much pressure on themselves. They compare their kids to where other kids are. And so, this idea of really kind of again unpacking these ideas we have about where kids should be, these arbitrary timelines and milestones are they really that important? What really matters is that we meet our child where they are, we respect their unique timeline. No matter where they are, they're all over the place, right? They might be lagging here, but they might be way up here in some other area. So let's go there. Let's kind of focus on where they're really strong and help them continue to build their confidence and their self-esteem and feel good about them. And and when they're ready to learn how to tie their shoes, if if that matters to them, they'll learn it in like, you know, a few minutes once they're invested and they're bought into that. So just kind of chilling out about timelines would be one of the big things I'm, I'm sharing right now.
1: The timeline thing always makes me laugh because it's so, they's so true. And the tying the, the shoelace, I even I'm guilty of it going through my own head the other day when I was helping my girl guide troop, one of the girls who's you know, she's probably seven or eight. She's like, I said, she she's like, I don't know how to tie my shoe. We were doing not practicing or knots, And I was like, yeah, that's right. Like a lot of kids don't know how to tie their shoes now. Like that's Mm -hmm. just a reality because Velcro is so awesome. Yeah, (laughs) It's just something that's, you know, like we were, I remember being so forced into learning how to tie our shoes at such an age that it was that milestone we had to achieve to move to the next level. And I love so much of what you're saying resonating with me, like just chill out and, and, and see your kids where they're, where they're at. Um, I love that.
0: Yeah. I'll, I'll just say that I homeschooled my child for seven years, I believe. And I was like, okay, it's third grade. It's time to learn cursive. So I got the book, you know, hand or cursive writing without tears and, you know, sat down and I learned very quickly. I'm like, oh no, this is not happening right now. Like this is a child with fine motor challenges and I'm going to make them write cursive. I was like, I don't think so. So I just said, you know what, you can just say what you want to say, and I'm going to type it up for you. We'll deal with this another time. And so I just put that away. I ended that after a day. Flat, you know. Fast forward a few years and my child who who can get interested in sometimes obscure topics, got very interested in Spencerian scripts and started studying, you know, the origin of cursive writing and calligraphy and things. And then ended up working with um, a, a typography instructor, developing his own font and working on, and now has this most incredible, like calligraphy partnership. And I can guarantee you, fourth the cursive, that would never have happened. There would have been such a resistance to ever learning how to do it.
1: Oh my gosh. Can you imagine if we went back into our childhood and all the things that we were forced to learn at certain times and how different things may have been, how do we have yeah. that freedom to learn it when, when it seems to be something that we're interested in? Right? Yeah. Oh my gosh. What My childhood would have looked very different. Yeah. I'm sure a lot of us. Now, it's interesting. You're talking a little bit about like, you know, in school, there's so many benchmarks and so many things they have to achieve and accomplish at certain things in, you know, looking at with you, what you're creating with your community. What would be the ideal kind of schooling environment for uh, for kids that are wired differently?
0: Well, that is a tough question to answer because... All of our kids are so unique. And so there is no one size fits all. So a lot of parents in my community are raising twice exceptional kids, which are kids who are gifted in some domains and they have a secondary or more than one learning disability. So gifted with ADHD, gifted with dyslexia, gifted autistic. So something like that. And those kids are really tricky because they're all over the place. They're asynchronicities and you know, their, their gifts are so advanced. And then they may have these lagging skills that make uh, any sort of traditional classroom really tricky. And a lot of those parents end up homeschooling. That's one of the reasons why I homeschooled for so many years. And I know that's, I like to always just say, I know that's not an option for so many families for a multitude of reasons, Uh, but many families with differently wired kids, whether because their child was disinvited from a school environment or the parents pulled them out for a certain period of time, find that homeschooling can be a really good way to reset and help the child really lean into their strengths and maybe even recover from some negative experiences that they've had in school. Um, Sometimes charter schools can be great. Uh, There are more and more public schools, I think, with an IEP, depending on the the difference, Uh, the learning difference that the child has can work. Um, So a lot of what I always say when it comes to educating these kids is most of us are not going to be able to easily just say neighborhood school, K through eight, they're good to go. It usually requires a year by year check in. Is this working now? What's our plan for this year? Let's figure out what will work this year based on who my child is right now and what they need and where they are in their development. Uh, So it's a little more labor intensive because we can't just kind of necessarily like put them in a school and assume it's going to be fine.
1: I love that approach because it's like a year by year, not a whole, the whole, the whole elementary school or the Mm -hmm. whole senior school. In one kind of category, um, yeah. I've seen a lot of parents doing that over the last few years. As the the world's been different, maybe holding the kids back this year and homeschooling, not mm-hmm. holding them back, but just taking bringing them home <laughs> to mm-hmm. homeschool to have a different a different experience. So I think that's mm-hmm. a really great uh, really great approach that could be valuable uh, for both parents and and the kids as well. Yeah, that?
0: yeah. I mean, I will say that homeschooling for us, I was a reluctant homeschooler to say the least it was not part of my plan at all but we had three pretty negative school experiences over the course of 3 years between kindergarten first and second grade and so it was the the move abroad and i was researching schools in the netherlands and international schools and my friend was like what are you thinking if you could not find a good fit in Seattle where we were living which has a lot of options she's like you're not going to find a great fit in the netherlands it's my hunch and she just said to me debbie this is a human who needs to be homeschooled right now and i finally agreed and so i just kind of leaned into it it ended up being just an incredible um experience for for all of us for the family it, it really helped me discover who my child is learn about what I now share through Tilt so it it was pivotal for our whole family
1: do you think that um, that was also because you were a change of environment and change of like a, country, a new country and new experience? I always think that uh, we took our kids RVing for a year, uh, and I think that 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 for they're really young, but they still talk about it all the time. And I think mm-hmm. that change of scenery for them got them interested in so many other different things than they would have normally just being at home where we were. Yeah.
0: I would say I don't know if it changed Asher's journey so much, but it, it, in that regard. But what it did was it allowed us to to make choices that were purely ours instead of worrying about what friends were going to think, what was happening down the street, what parties weren't we getting invited to, what play dates were not being reciprocated, what did we want this to look like, and so that opportunity to to just kind of wipe the slate clean and say, this is going to be on our terms now. And the people that we let into our life are going to be people who really respect our child and, and are in alignment with our values. And that pressure alone, having that gone was a huge gift. I mean, certainly there were a lot of stressors that first year because we didn't, you know, speak the language and we didn't have a support network. And so there were a lot of things that made it more challenging, but I think throwing out the rule book was definitely the biggest gift of that.
1: Yeah, I love that. And from a parent that's thrown out a lot of rule books in the last few years, I can totally relate. We sold everything and moved uh, we live off the grid on a little lake in the middle of nowhere. Wow. <laughs> and I think, I think for me, what that did is allowed us to slow down, mm-hmm. um, enough to then focus some more time with each other. Uh, with our kids, mm-hmm. with nature, things that were important to us that was getting lost in like the craziness of yeah. life, where I was getting up at like 6am to register kids for sports and activities and all this kind of stuff, totally. where the community we live in now has like one option for this one option for that. Yeah. And so it's a, uh, the forcing of slowing down has really helped us kind of reconnect mm-hmm. and recalibrate a little I bit. I love that.
0: Yes. And that has been the challenge coming back here, I will say, because we moved back to New York City, which is not the slowest city in the world to be living in. Or is it Seattle? (laughs) So, yes. um, And it's, it's we've been back for we're almost it's almost our three year anniversary of moving back. And we all desperately miss the Netherlands and are desperately trying to continue doing this on our own terms and continue, you know, trying to have our family be Uh, as connected as it, as it was and, and uh, not get caught up in what can be a really crazy lifestyle here.
1: Yeah. Are there any tips for parents that are kind of going through that right now where they are feeling like they're in that, like needing to keep up all the time uh,
0: space, like any, any great tips that are you finding that are working? Yeah. I mean, uh, right now, I think it's really important to remember that nobody's doing really well yet. And I think because things opened up, I've seen a lot of families feel this need to get their kids back in, like to try to get them caught up, get them signed up for everything. And I think it's important to remember that nobody's really doing great right now, including our kids. And so just really tuning into their stress levels, their energy levels, if they feel like they have too much on their plate, listen to them. Uh, think of less is more right now. And, and that's just the philosophy that we're following in our family. And that doesn't mean you know that if our kids sign up for a bunch of stuff then, and they want to quit, then we just pull them from everything. I mean, it's always conversations um, and really making thoughtful decisions about how we spend our time. But I think it's important to tune in and really listen to our kids if they are either verbally or non-verbally letting us know by their behavior or whatever that they're feeling stressed out or they have too much on their plate. And and just try to find ways to take some things off to create a more of a secure, quiet environment at home so that home can really feel like a, a safe respite.
1: Mm, that, I love that. Uh, and it kind of reminds me of what you said earlier about taking a look at the school, school, like one year at a time, if you take mm-hmm. a look at what's working one season, one season at a time in your mm-hmm. home too, and creating that safe, quiet space um, when it's such a busy world out there. <laughs> I think yeah, that, that sounds like that's much needed for, for a lot of kids, parents, everyone right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Absolutely. <laughs> I know you have a really great challenge going on at Tilt right now. Can you give us a, a little bit of an insight of what that is and how we can get connected with it?
0: Yeah, I have something called the uh, Differently Wired Seven Day Challenge, and I created it to give people a little kind of insight into the philosophy behind Tilt Parenting. And it's some of the tilts that are in my book, Differently Wired. And basically every day you get a very short video. It's like two minutes long. and it's it's not a big to-do or action item. It's a, it's an idea for a tweak, a reframe, something that you can start paying attention to in your world that day that can really have a big profound impact. So, you know, everything from like one of the days is just like come up with a bright spot at the end of the day. Think about one thing positive that happened in relation to your child that day. And just taking that time to look through that lens. The bright spots can be hard to find. Depending on what happened that day, but there's always something there, and so I, it, the the challenge is really just about that. It's these little reframes and, and tweaks that we can build into our life. And so, if people want to try that out, they can find it at tiltparenting.com/slash/seven-day, and you just sign up, and then you'll get get a little note for me every day for a week. That sounds really awesome, and I love that it's not a big to do. That
1: it's just something a little. We don't bit... need to do a lot of stuff. We no have to do. This going yeah. on. Uh, obviously, you're speaking the language. Yeah, uh, that's great. Before I let you go, is there any last words of wisdom that you'd like to share with our audience?
0: Oh goodness, there's so many things, uh, but I would say two things. Uh, one is that. If there is something going on with your child, something you're worried about, just, you know, remember that your child is not broken, that the goal is to kind of fix them or to eliminate certain things. It's to really lean into who they are and support the human that they are. So I think that mindset of fix it, which I had for many years of trying to get back on the the path so that we could follow my plan. That drive can be really strong. So if you notice you're in fix-it mode, that's an opportunity to kind of step back. And then the second thing I'll just say, it's related to timeline, is, is it's really important and helpful to zoom out and remember what we're doing, which is we're raising humans. We are raising people that we want to live self-actualized lives. We want these people to know themselves so well that they can create the life that they want. So they understand their strengths and they understand how to get what they need and support themselves around their weaknesses. So don't get caught up on the little things or the math assignment that didn't get done or the, you know, the little things that we tend to obsess over every day. Always try to remember to zoom out and think, how can my child learn more about who they are? Through this experience that's going to serve them when they're an adult. Mm.
1: I love that. <laughs> Thank you so much, Debbie, for sharing uh, your time with us today. This has been great. You guys make sure you go over to chillparenting.com. Don't forget the seven day challenge and go check out her book. I think this is, you know, whether you're raising differently wild kids or atypical kids, I think this is super valid and really important what you're seeing for everyone. So, go check it out. And Disney. thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for listening to the Blissful Parent Podcast. For complete transcriptions of this show, as well as helpful links to resources mentioned in this episode, please visit our website at theblissfulparent.com.